Um, this is Jeff King. Uh, I know his siblings. I've known his siblings for a little while and never had the pleasure to meet him or his wife, Ruth. Um, Jeff is uh, a man, actually his whole family, is by all accounts of all the people I know who are connected with the King family, just an upstanding man and uh, excited to hear uh, what you have to say about compassion. Compassion is close to, to many of our hearts. So thank you for coming. Thank you for valuing kids in the kingdom of God. And uh, thank you for the words you have to say. Welcome. Thank, thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, it's uh, wonderful to be with you guys. Um, uh, it's funny, the, the church that I'm part of, there's just a lot of similarities to the way that you guys do things, to the way that we do things. And so it's, it feels very uh, familiar to me, and I'm, I really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here and to share with you a little bit about what's on my heart. Um, I thought I'd start by introducing you to my family, um, a photo of my family. Um, so my wife is Ruth, as uh, Chris mentioned. Um, our kids are Elliot, he's our boy, at the, he's the oldest, and then Lucy, Annie, Moira, Phoebe, and Rilla. Um, and we live in Edmonton. Um, we're part of a church called Mill Creek Christian Fellowship. Um, and my wife coordinates the Sunday school there, so she that's that's why she's not here today. She says hi. Um, and as for me, I've been working with Compassion Canada for about a year now, just over a year. Um, my role is to connect with churches, um, to share about our ministry, uh, to invite people to get involved, um, to support sponsors, a, a whole bunch of different things. And my understanding, and I've been confirmed of this several times this morning, that you guys have a long history uh, with compassion, that you have uh, many of you are sponsors already. That's awesome. Uh, you have a deep heart for reaching out to children living in poverty. Um, so I just want to start by thanking you for that. Thank you for being responsive to God's call, uh, for your heart. Um, I listened to the uh, sermon that uh, Rick Scruggs preached last week. And, uh, and it was awesome just to hear this message about being open to God's interruption, to being open to his invitation to mission. And so today what I'm, what I'm hoping is that we might be able to look specifically at how God has given us children as another way to interrupt us, to interrupt our assumptions about who we are and our assumptions about what God cares about, to turn us back to him to open us up to what the least of these can teach us about being in relationship with him. Um, so I'm going to just pray to start things off, and then uh, we'll dig into the Bible. Lord God, I just thank you so much uh, for the chance to be with your people, um, to be able to break bread with them, Father, um, to, to be with brothers and sisters, Lord. And I just ask that you would speak through me today, um, that you would uh, help my words to be an encouragement, and, uh, and we just thank you again, God, for your goodness and for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to open up to uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 13 to 16. I brought my Bible up, but I realized I actually printed it out here, so I'm just going to read from my sheet here. <laughs> and it's a different translation, so that would be awkward. Um, so this is Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. 
It's a fascinating story, and it's a challenging story. You know, imagine the disciples, here they are thinking that they're doing some maybe reasonable crowd control, right? Um, Jesus doesn't have time for these kids. He's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing adults. Um, you know, he's too busy. And then Jesus, as he so often does, flips things upside down. And he tells, not o- tells them not only to let the kids come to him, but in fact that the whole focus of his ministry, the kingdom of God, that is the rule of God, can only be understood if we take on the perspective of a child. I want to dig into into this a little bit more with you today. The disciples had certain assumptions about what Jesus cared about, and by extension, what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. We bring our own assumptions as well, right? For me, I think that I often assume that following Jesus is about working harder or doing the right things through sheer will. But that is not what we see here. In fact, when Jesus tells his disciples that entering the kingdom of God means receiving it like a little child, he's issuing a challenge to those assumptions. Instead of strength and will, these children show us that need, expectation, and possibility are at the heart of kingdom living. And I want to suggest that this is why children occupy such a special place in God's heart, because they can teach us so profoundly about what it means to be in relationship with him. So I want to start by talking about need. In my work for Compassion here here in Canada, I sometimes get the opportunity to go and visit countries where our program is being implemented. And that happened for me for the first time uh, back in May of last year. I traveled with a group of pastors uh, to uh, Guatemala. Has anybody been to Guatemala? All right. It's it's an amazing country. It's it's just an amazing country. It's got such beauty and uh, pain. There's a very broad uh, sort of economic gap in the country. And on the one of the days that we were there, we visited the home of one of the sponsored children um, at the Compassion Development Center. And as many of you may know, that these centers, right, are held in and run by local churches. Uh, it's a local neighborhood church. They customize and implement the compassion program for children that are living in poverty in their neighborhood. So on that day, we were going to visit uh, Josue. Yeah, so that's a picture of Josue. He was 14, a uh, quiet, friendly guy. Uh, he seemed very proud and pleased that we'd, he'd been chosen for the house visit. And when we arrived at the house, the translators told us that we needed to go directly inside. The street where Josue lived was unsafe. There was a house three or four doors down um, that was connected to drugs. They had guns inside, so they just said, go right in. Now, the home itself, uh, it was really clean, but it looked temporary. And Josue's dad said that it was it needed to be collapsible because if their landlord said you need to move, They had to do it right away. They had to be able to stick it in a pickup truck and take it to wherever they were going next. They just moved quite recently. And so the family had suffered a lot, um, and in other areas too. An an aunt had recently taken her life. An uncle had lost a leg to illness. And, And the stress of all of these things and all the rest had been too much on Josue's mom, and she had, in fact, been uh, committed to a psychiatric hospital. She'd admitted herself to one, um, and she'd only recently come back. The family hadn't known when she was going to come back, and, and psychiatric hospitals in Guatemala are notorious. Um, they're, they're corrupt. They're under-resourced, understaffed. Um, the family had been very worried, obviously. 
and her, her absence had been hard on all four of the kids, but especially on Josue. And so this whole time as we were talking, Josue had been sitting next to his mom. He was holding her hand. And I watched him as we were told what had been happening in his family. You know, his face communicated the emotions and replayed that fear and anxiety that he felt and which obviously still lingered. And I think that's how it is with kids. You know, if, if you've worked with kids before or if you have kids or if you remember being a kid, um, you know that the effects of uncertainty and stress and fear are felt in very deep ways. You know, and kids living in extreme poverty are among those whose needs are most acute. You know, they're sometimes called the worst off of the worst off because their susceptibility to the effects of homelessness and violence and malnutrition is just so significant. They carry their need with them, right? Because right on their faces a lot of the time, because they simply don't know how to hide it. Now, that's not the case with, with most of us, I think, right? My wife and I both know, and you might empathize with this, we both know that we're feeling more stressed than usual based on how much we use our phones. Um, or we find other ways of distracting ourselves from revealing our feelings of helplessness. We try to make our way on our own uh, abilities or assumptions. And Jesus' disciples uh, do this often, right? They're like this a little bit in Mark 10 too. They don't see that Jesus is actually looking for those in need. You know, they haven't caught on to the ways of Jesus' upside-down kingdom where the least of these matter the most. As Jesus says in an earlier verse in Mark, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's the first thing that children teach us. It's only when we acknowledge our own need that we can begin to find our way into the rule of God. And that's what Jesus invites us to do in this story, like children, to acknowledge our need to him so that we can begin to find healing. The thing is, is vulnerability is actually a really hard way to live on its own. You know, for a lot of adults who are living in poverty, they can't escape from the fact that their needs are front and center, plain for anyone to see. And that erodes their sense of self-worth and ultimately their hope that things might ever be different, right? With kids, it's the same thing. Um, it can happen too. You know, sometimes need can become so great that it overcomes even the hope that those needs uh, might be met. And that time between um, when a child's sense of hope is still present and when it's been extinguished by suffering is pretty brief. Um, in the passage that we're looking at today, hope is still there. The parents and the children come before Jesus with anticipation and expectation. They're not only open about the need they have, they come to him with an expectation that he's able to help them. But that sense of expectation needs to be tended and cultivated. So one of the kids that I met um, in Guatemala was a boy named Andre. I think there's a picture of him. Yeah. Andre loved to talk in Spanish. And I do not speak Spanish, but Andre didn't care. Uh, he talked and talked. He actually made me think a lot of my six-year-old daughter, Phoebe, who also just loves to talk. She doesn't care if anybody understands her or, or anything. She just wants to get it out there, right? And children like Phoebe and Andre, they come to us full of words because they know that we can satisfy their need for someone to listen. Andre was also a very innovative player of rock, paper, scissors, and, and we were playing it 
And he kept pulling out these crazy moves. So in, in Spanish, it's piedra, papel, tierra. And then he'd go, dinamite. I'd be like, dinamite, what's that? Piedra, papel, tierra, day and day. And I was like, day and day. And so I pulled the translator over and, uh, and he explained, oh yeah, no, dinamite means dynamite and day and day means T and T and it always wins. So the next time you're playing rock, paper, scissors, you've got some Guatemalan moves that you can pull out there. Um, and he, yeah, he always won. I don't know. He looked, looked insistent too. The kids that we met at the compassion program, um, they have people in their lives, right? They're tutors, uh, volunteers, they're sponsor halfway around the world who believe in them, who are praying for them, who are telling them about God's love for them and that God has a plan for them. Their hopes and expectations are being cultivated. An expectation was an important feature of many of Jesus' interactions with people. And he always highlighted it, the role of the person's faith in their own healing. You can just think of a few examples. You think of the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years uh, and knew she just needed to touch the hem of Jesus' garment to be healed. And Jesus pointed it out and highlighted it. Your expectations, you brought expectations to me. The Syrophoenician woman who knew that despite her ethnicity, Jesus had something for her. Or the centurion who knew that if Jesus just said the word, his servant would be healed. They came to Jesus with their needs and with expectations like little children. And so when Jesus tells us that access to the kingdom of God requires taking the attitude of a little child, Jesus asks us to come with expectation too. Not the expectations that we unconsciously bring with us, right? Most of the time, expectations that we should get what we deserve, whether we think that that's a lot or not very much. Instead, Jesus asks us, invites us to approach him with hope, precisely not because of what we are able to do, but because of what he is able to do in us. And the Bible is full of promises um, about that, right? Inviting us to do exactly that. And I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 3.20, where he describes God as him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God's expectations about what is possible are always bigger than ours. But that's maybe the hardest thing for us to accept, to let go of our assumptions that we know what's best for us, and that we, in fact, know who we are better than God does. If we look again at that passage in Mark, we see that Jesus is going to tell these children who they are in a way that no one could have anticipated. In this period, you know, children were not generally treated well. Uh, This was particularly the case in the wider Greco-Roman world, but you see it in the disciples' reaction. Jesus goes way further than just accepting these kids. Instead, he tells his disciples that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm not just going to put up with these kids. I'm going to show you how they actually reside at the heart of my entire teaching on the kingdom of God. You've been struggling to keep up, disciples. These children already have it. And there's something that happens to children when they're trapped in extreme poverty. They stop dreaming. They stop hoping, they stop imagining that things could be different, and it it does make sense, right? They look around, they, they see their older siblings, they see their parents, their grandparents, their neighbors, and it's always been this way, hasn't it? 
You know, it's always going to be this way, isn't it? Poverty wins whenever that happens. Whenever a child takes into himself the lie that things are the way they are because that's just how they've always been, poverty wins. You know, whenever the voice in their head stops saying, I wish things were different, and starts saying, this is just how things are, poverty wins. And you can maybe already see the connection between poverty and the root of all the pain in this world, sin, right? Sin starts with a lie that says, God doesn't have your best interests in mind. And it transforms into another lie that says, you have to take care of yourself. Sin perpetuates poverty by making children lose hope, stop expecting, and leaving them alone with their needs. So that's why, for compassion, we believe that releasing children from poverty is actually impossible without Jesus, is ultimately impossible. Jesus sees something else in children. He sees the reality of who these children were created to be in a way that we could never see on our own. And when children encounter Jesus they can start to see that themselves. It was really cool to hear about the Youth for Christ thing. It's the same sort of thing. Anytime you're working with kids and they suddenly start to see, oh, things could be different partly because, mainly because, entirely because God loves me and God doesn't want this for me. So last week I came back from seeing Compassion's work in Honduras. Um, and while I was there, I met uh, two children. I, I met a, a ton of children lots and lots more than I could remember the names of. Um, but I met two children in particular named Jason and Justin. Jason and Justin, I think is how you say it. Um, and we met their mom. She worked hard making tortillas, uh, which she sold to a nearby um, in a market, and also she donated them to the church. And Jason and Justin were pretty standard kids, right? They're a bit shy. Uh, they were pretty polite. Um, and while we were talking with mom, uh, they were hanging out with one of the other Compassion kids, one of their friends from the center. At one point, Mom pulled out her phone, um, and many people in in these these areas have phones, even the, the poorest areas, right? Um, they helps them to find work. She pulled out her phone, and, and she had a video of Jason and Justin. They were wearing T-shirts that they'd made at a camp um, that had been put on at the Compassion Center. And they were belting out this marching song that they'd learned. It was in Spanish. I didn't understand what they were saying. But they were just belting this thing out. She told us that they did not only belt it out on video. They were doing it at other times as well. And, and we heard that, that they had been at this, this camp, which the theme of which had been heirs of the kingdom. And mom started to kind of tear up as she was telling us that the theme had been heirs of the kingdom. These kids were treated like royalty. All the staff dressed up in their very best, and they welcomed them in, and they had them sit down. And you know, usually at camps, you're supposed to do chores and that sort of thing. Not at this camp. At this camp, the kids didn't do chores because they were being treated like the princes and princesses that they already were in the eyes of God. And the video, you know, which their mom had taken when they got home, just showed how well-loved these kids felt. So what prompts someone to look at children and instead of seeing them in all the ways people might see them, see possibility or even an heir to the kingdom of God? It's the same thing that prompted Jesus to see the children who his disciples tried to shoo away as, in fact, models of how to enter the kingdom of God and how to be in relationship with God. 
In both cases, it was the love of God. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. God's love spurs him to desire that we would have life. He didn't want things to remain as they were with us trapped in sin. He wants us to become what we were created for, what he had created us for, as Jesus says in John 10, to have life to the full. And so when we come before God with our needs and with an expectation that he is able to help, we encounter a love that sees us differently than we can see ourselves. This is why Jesus invites us to become like children, right? Transparent in our need, hopeful in our approach, and open to becoming what God has created us to be. The gift of children goes beyond their being just a model to us, though. They also teach us how to have eyes to see what God sees, to recognize the needs of others, to welcome their expectations, and to see what is possible, what could be possible with God's help. This ability to see, and in particular to see children in this way, is part of our calling as Christians, as Jesus explains to his disciples in Mark 9, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. That's what's so amazing about Jesus' teaching on children. Not only do they show us how to enter the kingdom of God, they also show us what it means to welcome Jesus himself. It's that interruption, right? The way that Jesus interrupts us. And God has been interrupting me in this way, probably more than this, but at least ever since my wife and I started having our kids. And he's also been doing it through the four children that we sponsor. Um, I started sponsoring with Compassion uh, 16 years ago when I was 21. You can do the math now. Um, And I'll admit, I really didn't know much about what it was about. You know, I knew that there was a need, and I figured that I had a way that I could help. And that was about it. What I don't think I realized about this whole relationship was that um, being a sponsor was a way to learn to follow Jesus better. You know, these faces that I have on my refrigerator are children that I receive letters from, that I write letters to. I pray for them with my kids. They bring the world of need closer to me. And as that happens, my sense of my own limitations turns me to Jesus to rely more deeply and intentionally upon him. Children carry all their needs openly and with transparency, and we can choose to look away or to lean into it. They come before Jesus with expectation, and we can choose to join them, looking to Jesus with expectation on their behalf. And we can choose to see the possibilities in them, to see them with the loving eyes of God, the way that Jesus sees them, and the way that Jesus sees us. So, just to wrap things up, I'm hoping that you're encouraged today, first of all, to bring your needs with expectation before a God who loves you and wants your best. And I'm hoping also that you're encouraged to see the kids in your world, right? Little kids and big kids, with renewed eyes, the way that God sees them. You know, they need so much from us at every age. Even big kids who are technically adults need it. But they also have so much to give us as models of what it means to seek after God. 
So you may already be reaching out to children in different ways, parenting, teaching, you know, encouraging. Maybe there's some babysitters out there. I don't know. I'd like to invite you. Many of you are already doing this, and that's awesome. But I'd like to invite you to consider whether God is calling you to also reach out through sponsorship. And and those of you who know how it works, I guess you can tune out, but it's always a good reminder. You know, we, we have pictures of children who are living in poverty in the at the table in, in the foyer. Um, I actually got some, some other ones that Dave had picked up. Um, and interestingly, both of them are from Haiti. All of the kids we have here are from Haiti. We know that there's a heart for Haiti at this church. Um, to become a sponsor uh, to one of these children costs $41 a month. Um, your sponsorship gives them uh, health care, meals, support with schooling, including a tutor, uh, vocational training, but most importantly, uh, an introduction to Jesus. These kids have great needs, but for the majority of them, their deepest need is to know Jesus. For those of you who are sponsoring, I want I want you to know that through your letters and your prayers and the loving support and encouragement of adults at the center who love Jesus, these kids are rediscovering hope as their needs are beginning to be met, their expectations satisfied, and they begin to live out who God has created them to become. And I have a ton of stories, so if you want to talk afterwards, I, I would love to do that. But thank you so much again for having me today. Um, thank you so much, Jeff. That was excellent. Uh, great reminder. I sort of had a little epiphany about um, expecting when I bring things to God that I know, you know, those things you know, but when somebody else says it to you with scripture behind it, you're like, well, yeah, why don't I do that more often? So that was a great reminder for me. And uh, have a look at the pictures in the back. And uh, yeah, Dave? I just got one question for someone asking here today. Just got their behalf. Um, they're concerned about the disruption and riots in Yeah. And they sponsor yeah. a child in Yeah. Yeah, sure. So so I don't know all the details about it. I do know that um, kids are back at the at their compassion centers now. They 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 have been sort of suspended that. They stopped having the kids come because it was too dangerous for that period there. Um, and my understanding just even from seeing some of the other stuff in Haiti is that it is calming down now. Um, but, but yeah, that typically in those sorts of situations where it's becoming too dangerous for kids to actually come to the center, they would ask the kids to just not come. They're, they're still connected with them. You know, the, these are churches that know their neighborhood. So they would know sort of the people that are involved. It's, it's not like, um, they have a limit on how far away the kids can live. So it's usually 30 minutes walk maximum. So, so in those cases, I mean, I don't know the exact specifics of Haiti, but you would have basically people who already know, okay, these kids are here. We can keep tabs on them. If things happen to kids who are being sponsored, um, then that gets communicated back through and then ultimately gets to Canada. And we would communicate that with the sponsors. Does that start to answer your question? It's not, I don't have a lot of the specifics on it, but, but yeah. And, and we also do, you know, disaster relief and that sort of thing isn't the main thing that compassion does, but in Haiti, like during the 2010 earthquake, that was a big thing that we were involved with. And what we also try to do is, is make sure that churches are partnering with groups that can support them in other ways that they might not be able to be supported through compassion. 
The only thing I've uh, I, the thing I've heard is that it's it's still going on there. There's still um, a lot of uh, it's partly a government kind of well, it's it's a very messy, but there's a lot of that sort of thing, and the current government is still in place there. Um, and and it would be the same situation where if it's too dangerous for kids to come to the compassion center, they would um, they would ask that they don't. Um, which yeah, it's like anything you know. If you have kids who love youth group or love coming to your kids club or or whatever it is it is disappointing for them but it is ultimately trying to be the safest thing they can do yeah no and and one of the things just on both of those topics is compassion has sort of at our international office we have a security team that is sort of constantly keeping tabs and then at the national office and it's basically partnerships all the way down um at the national office we're keeping tabs on okay what's safe what's not they the churches would be also Unless they chose themselves to shut, to sort of suspend the program or to put it on pause, the national office might say, you know what, we think it's too dangerous, so please just hold off on this. Um, and then same thing at the security uh, council level, at, at the uh, international level. They're keeping tabs on things, and it, it's partly also with trips. We try to, you know, right now we're not doing trips to Nicaragua because of that, and we had trips on, to Haiti on hold uh, for the same reason, just trying to find that balance of safety, but also still keeping people, the, these beneficiaries, right, the, these children um, supported in whatever way we're able to. Well, let's pray for Jeff. Father God, we thank you for Jeff being here with us today. We pray blessing on him and his family um, as they serve you in excellent ways uh, here in this area and uh, through compassion uh, far away as well. We pray for Josue. We pray for uh, Jason and Justin and uh, the names of and uh, Andre and Andre, these these names that we now have faces to real people who you value so highly and love so much. Um, And we pray for your blessing on them. But Father, for all of our kids that we support and all of these who are on the table, God, we pray that you would bring peace to broken situations, that you would bring hope to hopeless situations, that you would bring love to unloving situations. And we thank you for Jeff's role in facilitating that and for his being here with a beautiful and inspiring message. So thank you for all these things, God, you are good. We thank you for your presence with us and with all these kids who are hurting. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. focus of his ministry, the kingdom of God, can only be understood if we take on the perspective of a child. So the next time you're playing rock, paper, scissors, you've got some Guatemalan moves that you can pull out there.